time now for History Matters. We are joined in the studio by the one, the only, Scott Washington, historian extraordinaire, <laughs> to uh, catch us up on uh, this week in history. Good morning. You How know, are you? And in case people think that was just recorded and they speeded up the voice, no, Aaron is doing that live when he runs that pattern. I, I dare anyone to try <laughs> to read that as quickly and also with the understanding as he does. It's just amazing. So I get to see... Uh, how the bread is made right in front of Poor my face. Poor Scott's so. been sitting here watching me just like go through tabs on the internet and n- cut in and out and do 10 seconds of talking and flip through papers for the last like eight minutes. It, it, it looks like uh, if you've ever seen the cockpit of a 747, that's exactly what it is here in the studio, here at the Trinsic Oris Studios. <laughs> Except without the Air Marshal walking well, in going, what right. are you well, doing <laughs> in the cockpit of a 747? Get out. <laughs> well, this isn't 1995. I would like to hear that, actually. That would be kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of famous things, uh, uh, there are some really interesting things that pop up this week. Um, one is the, we use it, and it's hard to believe that there was a time when these were separate, but uh, the first pencil with an attached eraser is patented back in 1858 on uh, March 30th. Uh, but the interesting thing is, is that the color yellow was used because this was seen as, oh, that was the premier pencil color. Now, whether or not this entirely affected something else that occurs on April 3rd, I'm not sure. But that's when Thomas built buses uh, was incorporated Back in 1930, these are the yellow the school yellow buses. buses. Yeah, uh, and that color was chosen in part. There is some, uh, some not exactly attribution, but some suggestion that it was because of the yellow pencils. Interesting. <laughs> to make a connection. I'd expect it as like it's kind of a visibility thing, That's right? right. So like safety orange much. and those like warm colors. People yeah, people weren't really thinking about that exactly, but that was some of the the thought that maybe it was why the color yellow was chosen. Uh, the person who, who came up with this was a Canadian native, uh, Pearly Thomas, and uh, he uh, only had an elementary school education, and he took a correspondence course in engineering and learned about streetcars and became a, uh, an engineer fixing them, repairing them. In fact, Tennessee Williams, a streetcar named Desire. Well, he was the one who was building those streetcars and fixing them right. in New Orleans. And when that f- finally kind of ran its course, uh, he started thinking about, well, how do we get kids to school and came up with this idea to build school buses. Uh, that's a high point company, actually, uh, that began that and is still making school buses that are nice. seen everywhere, which is amazing to think about you know, how we move things and how important that is. Now, I want to talk about a couple of other things. One that I'm not sure everybody realizes that the tune, Happy Birthday to You, is in the public domain now. But until 2015, actually royalties had to be paid if it was used commercially. Which is why whenever you watch a movie made before 2015, they sing two lines of the song, and then, like, for whatever reason, it gets cut (laughs) off, or you walk into a room as they're finishing it up. something else, yeah, Yeah. you come up with your own tune. uh, Also, because in a movie, it really kind of of brings the narrative to a screeching halt if you have to stand there watching people (laughs) go through this, like, repetitive, the same line over and over again. Exactly, and the reason that comes up this week is because Patti Smith Hill... 
uh, wrote the words. Uh, her sister Mildred wrote the music. Uh, she was born in 1868. 1893 is when they come up with this. 1912 is when the first kind of publication, 1924, it actually uh, gets more widespread. And then in the 1930s is when it's copyrighted. And that copyright lasts for so many years. And finally a judge says, okay, enough. <laughs> it's now in the public domain. Began as good morning to all. And something that you, you could sing every morning if you wanted to. I here. could. I won't, but I could. Because it would drag the narrative of the show I'm to a screeching sure halt. Yeah, the, 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 the kind of music. It's kind of an interesting thing and kind of like a, a segue off of Happy Birthday a little bit. But like you yeah. walk like in a movie because of the royalty right. thing, you wouldn't ever have a scene until recently where you see that's the right. entire song being sung. But I think that's good because it oh, really yeah. like it takes 30 seconds to sing that it's song. A, and that doesn't yeah. feel like a long time until you're sitting there watching a whole bunch of characters you don't know singing yeah. the song. It's like a, a, another example of how movie techniques develop just kind of organically without right. necessarily kind of the same thing as like in, in 1960 Jean-Luc Godard makes Breathless and it's famous right. for having these jump cuts like a guy yes. is walking and then all of a sudden like in the blink of an eye he's down the sidewalk further right. so it's like a big innovation in this movie but it wasn't Godard's intent to do that he just right. made a two hour movie <laughs> and the distributor was like this movie is too long and it drags can you cut some scenes is out is that how it worked and I Godard was like, I'm not cutting any scenes out. I'm French and pretentious. So instead, he just like cut frames out of the scenes that he had filmed. And then people raved about it. Like, oh, it's this huge innovation. And it wasn't an innovation at all. It was just like a (laughs) contingency because the distributor wanted the movie to be shorter. You know, and so many things in life are like that, I think. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's just simply like, well, we don't have space. We don't have time. We've got to go. Let's ahead just and do, do a thing, anyway. and then this becomes That's like right. a major invention. Well, yeah. here's one of the things when I was uh, at the Chapel Hill Library mm-hmm. when you were out of town talking about WCHL and learning a really interesting fact. As you come into Chapel Hill, those iconic towers, the AM towers on Franklin Street, uh, soar into the sky. Well, I was talking with uh, a doctor who uh, expressed the idea that. And he went on some of the early life flights. Before helicopters, they were flying planes. Right. And the pilots would use those twin towers as a kind of a visual landmark at night to know, okay, it's there. We know that the landing field uh, is nearby, and let's go off of that, which is interesting. The height of those towers is, uh, I've read, almost 260 feet. Mm -hmm. And just to put this in uh, perspective, uh, the Statue of Liberty is 305 feet. So it's our own kind of Statue of Liberty uh, for this place. Do you know this is the second time this week that the height of the Statue of Liberty has come up in a conversation on this show? No, I did not know that. Well, there must be something, because this is those towers are like the, a Statue of Liberty to anyone listening. And Victor Lewis is talking like yesterday or the day before about how the Statue of Liberty is equivalent to the height of 22 giant tuna fish. As part of the trend segment. So by extension, our tower has got to be the height of like 16 or 17 giant tuna fish. That's right. This is good to know. That is good to know. And uh, just to put in perspective of the uh, Eiffel Tower is 984 feet. So it's so much taller. Uh, But that's our own Eiffel Tower. That's our own Statue of Liberty uh, for this area. And the reason that came up is because March 31st, 1889 is when the Eiffel Tower opened to the public. Mm-hmm. So it seemed to be, well, let's put it in perspective. Where, what else is uh, going 
going on. That was a World's Fair thing, too, wasn't it? The Eiffel uh, Tower? Yes, it was. It's originally it was, supposed to be temporary. It was. But, it was yeah, supposed yeah. to be taken down, but people just were enjoying it. They said, no, you yeah. can't take that down. Well, they might have not have said it in English. I'm French and pretentious. <laughs> you can't do this. All right, here, I've got, all right, go ahead. Speaking with Scott Washington, we've got time for one more. All what, right. what are you going to add? Uh, then I'm going to talk about um, one woman who we probably have not heard of uh, often, uh, which, and her name is Effa Louise Manley. She was born in 1897, uh, lives to 1981. Um, she's the only woman who's inducted into the National ba- Baseball Hall of Fame, and that's because um, she was crazy about baseball, met her husband, and together they co-owned what was called the Newark Eagles. Now, this was in the days of segregation, so it was African-American, but it was the Newark Eagles were to um, to Newark, New Jersey, as the Dodgers of Brooklyn. And she was a fierce uh, proponent of civil rights um, in her day and wanting to make sure that when Jackie Robinson came along that there were other players. And also that um, the, uh, the African-American leagues got compensated for the players that were being eventually started being drafted going into the major leagues. Mm -hmm. And um, because of her work and her tireless advocacy, she becomes the only woman to be uh, inducted to the National Baseball Hall of Fame, which I find kind of remarkable and not a name that we have heard of uh, very often. Ethel Louise Manley. Yes. And that is uh, Why History Matters. Scott Washington, as always, thank you so much. Thank you, Aaron.